Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another week. I am your host, Aaron Osborne. This week, my guest is Rachel Maria Cox from Sad Girls Club and Sad Girls Fest. Um, Rachel got in touch with me about doing a podcast and I was very stoked to be, you know, involved with helping promote um, the event that they're organizing and yeah, it was fun meeting someone and having a conversation with someone I don't know. I think I've sort of said that a couple of times on this podcast that I really enjoy, um, you know, meeting new people and uh, having conversations with people, particularly about things that maybe, you know, haven't been talked about on this podcast before and also are things that I think are important. And, you know, I think the initial idea behind this podcast was... Um, to maybe talk to some people that don't get interviewed so much or don't have the opportunity to um, have interesting stories that they have heard. So I was very glad that Rachel got in touch about doing the podcast and I'm happy to help them promote their event, um, Sad Girls Fest, throughout the podcast. Uh, Rachel talks about it and gives all the details in there far better than I can in a little... Um, preamble. However, for the sake of keeping things together here as well, I will say that the Sad Girls Fest uh, Melbourne date is on the 1st of October, um, which is a Saturday, at the Reverence in Melbourne. There is also a Sydney event that's the week following on the 8th of October at the factory floor in Sydney. Um, so yeah, there's the lineups are huge. Look on Facebook or sadgirlsclub.com for the details of that. I can't go through everyone on here. There's so many people, but it's awesome. It's fantastic. It's a great idea. It's a music festival. So it's, you know, celebrating gender diversity and showcasing um, non-male musicians. And that's obviously something that's hugely important. Um, and in an industry and in a scene and things that is obviously quite heavily male dominated, it's awesome to see someone doing something cool like this so i'm happy that i could be a small part of helping talk about it on the podcast um but yeah that's enough preamble um you just want to hear rachel talk and me have a conversation in the beer garden of the workers club anyway <laughs> this the conversation was fun it was awesome meeting someone new it was awesome having a chat i hope you enjoy this episode of the oblivious maximus podcast episode 52 with Rachel Maria Cox. Brutal. Rachel, thanks for doing my podcast. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for meeting me in the back of a pub. <laughs> well, it's... I had to be here anyway, yeah. so... <laughs> Convenient for you. Yeah. All right, so I start all these off by asking people how they primarily first got into music. Um, I've been doing music since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. My mum sings and plays the guitar a yeah. lot. Um, she never did it, like, professionally, but it's something that she always did, like, around the house when we were growing up. Um, so I sort of grew up around music and then I wrote... The first song I ever wrote, I wrote when I was nine years old. Wow. Um, it is. What, what was I, the content of that song? It was an uplifting pop banger. 
Good. Um, so I've really, like, my music style has taken a turn. <laughs> so not so uplifting. Um, but I wrote I wrote a song when I was nine and that kind of kicked it off. Um, I started learning, like, the flute and played in school band and got singing lessons. Learned piano from the ages of 12 up to 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and did, like, classical training and composition lessons at school and everything like that. Wow. So a proper musical training. Yeah, and then I <laughs> went to the University of Newcastle and did my Bachelor of Music there. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got to uni, I started a degree in composition and contemporary voice and realised that really what I wanted to be doing was like singer-songwriter stuff and okay. and more less art music and more contemporary kind of stuff. So right. um I asked my friend, like, I moved to Newcastle not really knowing anyone because I grew up in Western Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked my friend Spencer Scott, who I knew from Tumblr. Wow. Um, the, he, world, the world moves in weird ways. These yeah. Days. Yep. Um, I asked Spencer if um, he was, uh, this was around November of 2014, he mm-hmm. was doing like a monthly residency. At the Cambridge Hotel. Yep. Um, and I asked if I could jump on one of those shows. Mm-hmm. And I did. And the rest, as they say, is history. I've uh, not heard many uh, historical paths starting at the Cambridge Hotel, I have to say. Uh, look, <laughs> but I a think good place to start, nonetheless. Well, it, it actually didn't start at the Cambridge Hotel because <laughs> the month that I did the residency, what happened was the Cambridge had double booked the the event. And so what we had to do was like find an extra venue at the very last minute and it got moved to the Commons, which is like this real DIY sort of cafe booked like library sort of just all-purpose space that Mm -hmm. they'll let you put on shows they've got a pa there and you can like it's super diy yeah um so we did a show there i think i played to not counting the people who were also playing that show i played to five people okay how many of those were bar staff no, no bar staff. Oh, no bar the, staff. When I say the commons is really DIY, I mean they tell you where the keys are hidden. You <laughs> okay. let yourself in, set up the PA, operate it yourself, great. clean up and leave. So that's five punters then. Yeah. That's great. There's five people through the door and then also the people who were there to play. Sure. And it was an absolute, like as first shows go, it was it was Spencer Scott and Nothing Rhymes with David. Yep. Diz from Safe Hands did mm-hmm. a set, like a solo set. Jack Lundy and um, Heath Anthony from Adelaide. Okay. So. That's pretty good. That was my first show. That was a that's, pretty good first show. That is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's starkly different to my first shows in youth centres when I was playing death metal when I was 14 years <laughs> old. But very interesting nonetheless. Mm. Um, so, what, what, I guess if you go back to playing music when you were nine and getting started and things like that what were the things that were inspiring you to create music what were the things you were listening to that you were trying to emulate or influence by so my mom has really really cool taste in music my mom listens to like like introduced me to um like the dandy warhols and everything but the girl and eels and Mm -hmm. the breeders and the pixies and bands like that that are really really so a very cool mom a really very cool (laughs) she's pretty cool (laughs) She would disagree with me, but... um. Hey, she's not the judge of that. You are. 
Um, and so she introduced me to all that kind of music. But um, to this day, I listened to a lot of what my friend Will would describe as pop guff. I <laughs> like my taste in music is very much pop guff. Um, so I listened to like. I had like those So Fresh and 100% Hit CDs. So anything that was on one of those from about the year 2000 onwards is probably that I would say that's like an inspiration. Seeped into your songwriting at some point. At some point, yeah. Yeah. I still listen to it too. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) You've got to listen to pop music. That's where everyone gets their good ideas from. (coughs) That's cool. Um, And so I guess those things... I mean, I would say a lot of the music that comes out of that sort of pop music and stuff isn't generally singer-songwriter type music, mm. though. It's generally very largely produced multiple songwriters for one performer type mm. things. So how did you take the uh, the influence from that and turn that into what you created? Where did, where did I take the turn? Yeah. Um, so I think what happened was I listened to... Like, my, my taste in music, especially as I got older and I got into high school, um, my taste in music got a bit more eclectic. Like, that was when I started going to my first hardcore shows and okay. those, you know, shows in youth centres with sure. all ages shows and yep. stuff like that. Um, I started going to those, so I started to listen to a lot more punk music and hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to listen to, like, stuff that Triple J played and stuff like that, which was mainly because I wanted to fit in with cooler people. Okay. So I started listening to... The cooler to, people weren't listening to Sofresh? I started listening to the people that I thought were cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I started listening to better music. <laughs> um, let's not say better, let's just say different. Yeah. <laughs> I started listening to more alternative music. Sure. there you go. Um, and then... I guess like I took a huge diverse range of influences and um, when I started to like sit down and write songs, especially as a teenager, like they were very much influenced by, um, I guess, artists that were on the cusp of that like pop alternative mm-hmm. sort of line. So like um, my f- high school band that I was in was like super influenced by like the Ting Tings and Operator Please and groups like that, okay. that kind of indie pop. Yep. Um, and I think that's kind of where I always end up somewhere. Back on, around there. I always end up kind of somewhere on the verge of, of pop music that's not super polished okay. or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but with the singer-songwriter stuff, I guess I always just went into it because um, I'm a bit of a control freak. I don't, I don't work well in a collaborative writing environment. Okay. Um, so I did like this high school band and, um, it, that was when I first discovered that I should probably be doing solo music. <laughs> a lot of fighting. Um, so what we we've, we've since like me and, and the other people who were in that band have since come back and like talked about it. And we realized that what the issue was is there were two control freaks in that band. There was okay. me and my other friend, Bridget, who has since gone on to, study and be exceptionally good at stage management at NIDA. So, so she was she's a professional to, control freak. For sure. Born um, to have a little argument every now and then. <laughs> and we had two big personalities in that band. Mm-hmm. And so we've since settled that it was not that we couldn't have, like, it's not that I am a, I 
can't work in a band. It's just that I can't work in a band with another person who needs to be in charge of that band. Yep. Yep. That's so, understandable. I yeah. have the exact same thing. <laughs> I'm always the band guy. The yeah. guy that cares about everything too much. Um, <clears throat> so I guess if, uh, like a lot of people who I've spoken to about, um, I guess punk and hardcore and DIY stuff and those sort of things are kind of those can always be a turning point for people too almost mm. like even if without the music the ethos or I guess the the exterior things that go around the music that oftentimes shapes the way people feel about it as well mm. did that stuff have any effect then on the sort of music you were creating um I think the biggest the biggest one that comes to mind is like when I started going to hardcore shows and stuff like that especially like local ones I was very much struck by like how unwelcome I felt okay. like as a as a teenage girl mm-hmm. um that was something that I experienced a lot was feeling like other people didn't want me there and I think more than anything that influenced how late it took me to get back into doing live music at a local level mm-hmm. was because I just kind of didn't feel and then as an adult I didn't feel particularly safe around some people and it was like that community influenced how long it took me to get back into it okay but then I discovered like DIY punk and like a more sort of inclusive and progressive community that I'm part of now and that was something that influences me I guess like it just it's something that inspired me to really take up that DIY ethos and run with it was Mm -hmm. this idea that you you could do stuff like release your own music and make your own music put on your own shows and do stuff like that I could do it all myself yeah which really appeals to the control freak in me sure, you know of course, yeah. um <laughs> yep. you're in charge of everything <laughs> i can just run everything <laughs> why didn't yep. anyone tell me this you do have manager in your email signature <laughs> so you have very much taken the baton so i call myself the sad girls club manager because i don't know what else to call it like well, i i feel it's a fitting title I, I and do. one that represents you well from the sounds of things. <laughs> I don't. There's like, because Sad Girls Club is like, it's an odd structure in that all the label stuff yeah. is just me. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the booking stuff is just me. And then when it comes to the festival, I have like a couple of other people helping me out. Yeah. Um, which is more than I had last year. I have decided to loosen the reins a little bit because <laughs> last year... the net of people you allow in. It got really... It got a lot bigger this year. Mm-hmm. And last year, I discovered that as much as I would like to, I cannot do everything at all times. Yes. And so I let some people in, got some, some people who were close to me to help me out. And I've got a little team for the festival this year. Cool. But other than that, People, I think a lot of people who don't know about it think that Sad Girls Club is more people than it is. Yep. I think I should, probably should have called it a club. Because <laughs> um, it's, it's not... You've got to have a title. You yeah. Know? Um, which is, yeah. So I call myself the manager, but I am really just... Anything that has the Sad Girls Club label on it is just me. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's fitting then. 
Yeah. I embrace the uh, jump around. So why don't we talk about Sad Girls Club okay. before we um, get away from it just to get back to it? How is that a thing that came up for you? How has that started for you? Um, so about when I started getting into playing these shows, mm-hmm. like that first show that I did, I was the only non-male artist on that bill mm-hmm. um, and I did a couple more where it was like that and that was something where I was like oh this is happening a lot and this is just like when I was in high school and going to punk and hardcore shows and I was the sure. only girl and I didn't feel welcome then and so I put on this show at the very end of 2014 and it was me and Alison Gallagher and another female singer-songwriter Tess Killerly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like a little show in a cafe, but it was really nice. And I thought, you know, like this is the sort of thing that I want to be doing is putting on shows like this. Um, because the, I don't know if it's just me being like a a non-binary person or being like before I came out, like experiencing things as a woman, but it was like the mood is very different when there's like a mix of genders on stage sure. um, or at least that's how I perceive it for me so I thought that that was something that I wanted to do and after that show we kind of nicknamed it is originally nicknamed the sad lesbians club <laughs> um, but then it we decided sad girls club I, I told it to my friend SM who went on sad girls tour with me last year and she really latched onto the idea and was like, no, you've got to make it happen. You've got to do it. Just book us some shows and I'll do them. And so when she said, book some shows and I'll do them, what I then did was go and book like a 10 or 11 date national tour. And she was like, oh. That control freak just flew out of you again. <laughs> it just kind of, well, it just, for someone who is a control freak, that got very out of control very quickly. And I was like, oh, look. What am I going to do? I've just booked this entire tour and you're coming with me now. Yep. And so she was like, oh, all right. That sounds <laughs> like fun. And it was. It was really, really fun. Yep. Um, we got to play like two Melbourne shows in Adelaide, Canberra, two Brisbane shows, like some stuff in Sydney and Wollongong and Newcastle. And it was good because it was like we got to go and travel and play with like gender diverse artists mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Um, and that's something that for me was always important was like supporting local musicians for sure um and supporting musicians who may not otherwise have a platform to do stuff like this yep um and that's what i wanted to do with sad girls fest this year was um like really emphasize the local the local lineups rather than do like a touring festival yep um, so there's two shows for the one this year. Yeah. Sydney and Melbourne. There's Sydney and Melbourne and both of them have different lineups. Mm-hmm. Um, most, it's like mostly local from, for both of them. Yep. Like in, in Sydney, we have like one artist coming from Newcastle, like a few from, like we've got New South Wales artists and then we've got like one artist coming from Queensland. Okay. And then in Melbourne, we've got, I'm playing in Melbourne, which is just something that what happened was I was like oh, I can't really play at Sydney because that's going to be hectic 
and I don't... You have to be the manager. I have to be in charge of everything mm-hmm. else. And I did that last year. I played in Sydney while I was trying to run the show while <laughs> I was also very sick at the time. So it was... And I did not perform as well as I could have because I was stressed out of my tiny little brain. For sure. So I was like, oh, I maybe won't do that again this year. <laughs> um but I wanted to play in Melbourne. I just wanted to do like a little acoustic set mm-hmm. because I like playing in Melbourne. Yep. Um, and also, and also, it was just like I already knew heaps of other Sydney performers who wanted to be on the Sydney lineup. So I was like, oh look, there's no room for me. That's fine. Okay. Um, in Melbourne, after we announced it, there are now heaps of artists who are coming up and and putting their name forward to to play other shows, which is awesome. Yeah, great. But it, um. When I first looked at it, I was like, I can play Melbourne because there's going to be there's going to be space for me. Yep. And so, where are those two shows at? So in mm-hmm. Melbourne, it's at the Rev in Footscray yep. on the first of October, and then the following weekend, the eighth of October, we're doing Sydney at the Factory Floor. Great. Two fantastic places. Yeah, and it's um, both of them. We're running two adjacent stages, mm-hmm. um, and then an outdoor acoustic stage at each of them. So that way we can cram as many acts as we can into the one show. (coughs) I can now understand as well why you don't want to be part of the one in Sydney because I'm sure organising something like that yourself is a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Three um, stages. My God. Three stages. Um, I don't know. I don't... Sometimes... Every now and then I sit down and I look at it and I'm like, got so many emails and things to sort out. And like, yeah. I'm just sitting there and I'm like, why have I done this to myself? <laughs> why? Yeah. Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't, I would not do it. Yeah. There's no way that I would, now that I've started it, there's no way I'm going to stop anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Like it will probably change. I'm already starting to think about next year and about like what we're going to do differently next year. Yeah, um, that's great. Because there's already been people being like, you know, you should do it in Brisbane, you should do it in Perth. Yeah. So that would be cool. Mm. Um, but again, it always depends on like, I'll, I'll take some time to debrief after these ones are finished and then we'll see. Yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of things like that too, I'm, I'm not sure how you feel about it, but like mm. for myself, I did, I did a couple of these live podcasts and I think a, a, a big thing for me was like, it was really dabbling into the unknown for me like I really didn't know what it was going to be like and mm-hmm. what the response was going to be and how it was going to go and stuff and then like as it and immediately as it started I was like oh shit I could have done this better I could do that better yeah. and then like I spent the whole time thinking like how to fix it for the next one and mm. not like it sort of I had to like get into my own head and go like stop it to enjoy what I was doing when I was there yeah yeah and that's <laughs> one of the things was like pretty much straight away like when we were looking at the one for for last year like I was already like okay well what we're gonna do is like maybe tackle our advertising differently and like these are some artists that we can bring in and like the venues that we can use and so like a big change was the fact that I didn't do it across two days mm-hmm. um this year we changed venues as well and a lot of that came out actually like I, I just set up a survey for people who came to the festival last year and I was like, you know, the most important thing for this is like, what did you like and what do you want us to do differently? And like the big things that came out of that were the Safer Spaces invitation was something that was really important to a lot of people and the way that we 
we executed that. So that's something that I'm really trying to emphasize for shows. Um, but then like feedback was like about the venue and you know, like how it could have done, run things a little bit differently. So that's why we decided to move it to Marrickville. Okay. Um, Cause a lot of our, I don't know about in Melbourne, but like in Sydney, a lot of our demographics in the inner West. Yeah, and for sure. A lo- apparently I didn't know this I'm like I'm a western suburbs kid mm-hmm. so everything is like everything in the city is just in the city of course that's how I feel about Sydney every time I go there um, I don't know where anything is but apparently if you live in the inner west going across the city to the eastern suburbs is like oh that's a long way to go probably yeah. won't go to that so okay. so apparently that was a thing which yeah. I was not aware of I wouldn't have been aware of it if it weren't for the surveys being like Put it in the inner west so we don't yeah. have to walk far from our houses. <laughs> sure. You can ride our push bikes there. An- another problem of being a manager or someone who organises something is the plight of the public that you have to deal with. <laughs> so good on you, public, for responding to surveys. It's very useful. Like, yes, I don't think people understand how useful constructive criticism is yeah. in a survey. Like, that's why we do it. I want you to tell me what we did badly so yeah. that I can fix it. That's how you get better at things. Yeah. Um, so what, I guess with organizing the fest then, what what were like, what are some of like the, the most important things for you about the festival that you're organizing? Because um, obviously it comes along with a message and an idea as well. Mm. So what, what are those important things for you there with that? Um, so the, like I said, like one of the main things was that there's not enough gender diversity in Australian music and that's just I'm not going to argue with a, I'm over arguing with people about that um, that is a statistic 100% like, this, the numbers are there don't know why anyone would try and argue that <laughs> I don't know I deleted the Facebook app off my phone because I have it stresses me out a sure, lot sometimes I, I completely understand <laughs> um, so I think that's that's a big thing is like trying to prove that there are so many talented backs uh, talented bands and acts with like you know female and non-binary and transgender performers and gender diverse bands and stuff like that and there are so many of those that I want people to start questioning all male lineups when they see them mm-hmm. because that's something that really gets my goat okay um because like i get like at least two or three emails a week from bands who are like hey we really like what you're doing with sad girls fest and here's our music and you know we're a band that's like all girls or we've got like two girls or like we're a band of trans people and stuff like that and bands Mm -hmm. like that i've got them coming out my ears so why are all male lineups still a thing i don't get it but I do get it, especially in some genres. I think that's really important is like, like in, in hardcore music, especially it's a big issue because, and I think then that comes down to like the audience and the culture it shows. And that's another really important thing with Sad Girls Fest is that we want the culture at this festival to be different. And we want it to be really clear that, you know, violence and, and, certain types of language and behavior are not acceptable mm-hmm. um we want to make it something that people get into the habit of doing is like being conscious of how they engage at live music events sure. um 
Because the audience is just as important, if not more so. They make up arguably far more of the people in the room yeah. than the people performing. Do. Unless you're me and you're playing to, <laughs> <laughs> and then you're playing to mostly people who are also in the bands. But um, well, I'm glad that you could put your own uh, opinion aside there and think of <laughs> think of the audience. I'm think of the audience. What I do is imagine if I had one. Just imagine. Uh, yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I think it's like it's about getting the diversity into the lineups and having that really visible and at the front of the show, but also having the culture with the audience and making mm-hmm. the the audience feel safe and, and like, you know, women and trans people and, and people of colour can come along to these events and not feel like they're running the risk of, you know, getting hit on by gross dudes or whatever sure. it is that they're yeah. afraid of. Yeah. And um, do you feel that... Uh, like the spaces and things that you've chosen as well to have the performances at are positive reflections of mm. those things as well? I think so. Um, <clears throat> something that I'm already thinking about for next year is like um, getting some venues where we can have have it as an all-ages event because I think that's yeah. going to be something that's really important and also accessibility for people with disabilities. So like wheelchair accessibility and also yeah. it's something that we looked into at the start of this year like and I talked to the venues about it and stuff like that and it was just um especially having all ages events as something that like is an extra expense that's quite difficult as well it's going to be really hard to to organize but if I can do it next year um then that's something that I really want to do but I'm really happy with the venues that we've got like I know that I know that the Rev is um a venue where like I know Jamie who books it is a, a really, really good person and like really supportive of this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's been he's been great, absolutely lovely to deal with for this and um Huge uh, shout out, previous oh. guest of this podcast. God bless a, him. I played guy. with him a couple of days ago. Um and he just he's one of my favourite singer songwriters. He's fantastic. Um and then uh, the factory floor is like it was a good venue for us in terms of location and in terms of like what we could do with that space but they've also been really good like in terms of you know what we need from the security and stuff like that Mm because they'll provide all their own security and stuff like that and that's something that I think is really important is that the venue and the security company are willing to work with an event like this because um there's obviously a lot of things that are different to a regular event. There was something that they yeah. would usually be booking there, I guess. Yeah. Like, um, especially I know that a lot of a lot of people of like minority groups have a have a distrust of security guards and and um, of police and I think that that's not that's not unwarranted mm-hmm. for a lot of them with their, their personal well. experiences. Yep. So to have security guards who are willing to like work with us to make sure that that's something that is is understood but taken care of and treated with sensitivity yeah that's something that i'm looking for in a venue and the factory have been really good with that yeah that's great yeah um so i guess with all those things in mind um and something like doing a festival and organizing things like this is are these sort of the things that help in your own like um interest and continuation to create music is is organizing things and sort of having that drive to book things as well is that part of what keeps your music going then too 
Yeah. Um, for me, it's one of those things where, like, my music is separate to this and, um, like, I'm releasing it through Sad Girls Club, the label, but that just means I'm self-releasing it and sure. putting a different name on it. Um, but for me, it's like... Like I got super sick at the end of at the end of last year, like after Sad Girls Fest, and that was one of those things where, if anyone's ever had like mental health issues, they know that when you get really really down and like have really severe mental health problems, it's so difficult to find the motivation yeah. to keep doing creative things or to do anything, yeah. but especially to keep doing creative stuff. And so, having Sad Girls Club as something that. I believed in uh, like as as an ideology as well and something that like aligned with my values was enough motivation to kind of keep me going with music through that period where it was like you know I may not believe in myself particularly or I may not feel particularly good in myself but I believe in this and I believe in what I'm doing and so that was something that kind of kept me going through that so that's probably the biggest personal connection and personal drive for it is the fact that it's something that I really believe in. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, I mean, I, I think I think one of those, I guess a, a big thing for me with like making music and touring and doing stuff like this as well is that like, you kind of got to look at it. I mean, we can't, I don't think, generally speaking, in Australia, we can sort of look at something like this and aspire to make a career out of it so much as it's a very slim portion of society that gets to experience that. So I think a huge thing for me has been, like, just take the lessons you get from it and try and make it fun and try and make it enjoyable and try and, you know, keep it... Don't don't look at it as something to just strive for success because if that's what you're going to strive for, then you'll lose the you'll lose the lessons that you're meant to be trying to learn from along the way. I think, and I think doing something like organizing festivals or booking tours or even like releasing records for yourself and stuff is like a huge way of learning, you know, how things work. But then as well as how you can make it better for yourself mm. as you go along. Mm. Do you have any hopes or you know desire or whatever to? release or do music with other people now that this is going a bit Uh, so I've been I did a couple of band shows like I recorded this EP with a band Mm -hmm. um, and then our drummer moved to Melbourne so I was like oh well the band's not going to be a thing Yeah, I guess that's fine it's a very Newcastle thing to move to Melbourne Mm -hmm. Um, it's a very Canberra thing as well I've done it I was talking to someone about this the other day it's everywhere that isn't Sydney or Brisbane yeah. It's a very big thing to move to, to Melbourne. Yep. Everyone else goes to Melbourne. Um, <coughs> so, yeah, he moved to Melbourne and then we're like, oh, I guess guess the band won't be a thing, but that's fine because we've got this really cool record and that's fine. But then we got a, like a week before the EP launch in Newcastle, so like two weeks from recording this, like um, Jack, who played rhythm guitar, was like, oh, I know someone who could learn all the drum parts and we could do it with the drums. And I'm like, oh... All right, like if he's if if this person is willing to do it, and it was someone that I already knew who's like an amazing drummer, and we just sat down and had like one practice, mm. um, 
we didn't actually even practice as a full band. What we did was me and the rhythm guitarist and the drummer sat down and had one practice. I went and had a separate practice with our lead guitarist because I just, <laughs> we had like less than a week before this yeah. launch show and I was like, I cannot get you all in the same room at the same time. So we'll just, we'll just do it in two goes and smush them together and hope that it works. And it yeah. would, like I knew that it would because our lead guitarist especially is like some kind of guitar wizard. <laughs> um, Handy. It's very, very useful to work with musicians who are far more talented than you. <laughs> yep, I've been doing that my whole career. It's <laughs> my career plan. Yep. Um, and so then I had, we were talking about doing a band show for the Sydney one as well. And um, the lead guitarist was like, I cannot do that day. There's just no way that that's going to happen. Yeah. And so my friend, another one of my friends was like, I can do lead guitar parts for that show. And then Thank on you. the day of the Newcastle show, he bought a banjo. Great. <laughs> turned up to the show that of like half an hour before the first act was on. and was like, the banjo's in the car and I know all the songs. So he played as a five piece with absolutely, like completely inadequate preparation, but it worked. Mm-hmm. It worked really well. And then we played as a four piece on Sunday in Sydney and it's worked really well and we're talking about it and everyone is keen to do some more band shows so I was talking to them this morning and I just said you know these are the shows that I've got booked these are the ones that we can do as a band so it is going to happen I'm actually going to start playing with a band now very cool uh under the condition that it is my backing band and I'm not forming a band to do collaborative songwriting okay. and everyone knows that and everyone is clear from that like clear with that from the outset so yeah. that's fine i can work with that <laughs> you still got that control uh, i just my music is so personal and my lyrics are so personal and i just i cannot carry that through to writing a song with another person sure. that makes sense and it's just how i write so I guess if you're writing stuff that's that personal and that meaningful to you, how do you feel about releasing it? Is that something that's hard or sensitive at all for you to do? No. I've never really asked someone that, so <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's no different to playing it live. Okay. Um, so I'm very, very used to writing these songs and playing these songs and having people come up to me afterwards and be like, I just want to give you a hug. <laughs> you f- you sound like you need a hug right now. And that's that's just the reaction that I get. Um, mm-hmm. um, but releasing it was kind is kind of different because it does have the it has the potential to reach a lot more people, obviously. Sure. Um, it's not it's not a huge concern to me because I'm not a very closed off person. Mm-hmm. Like I'm if I've just met you and you want to know like about anything that I've written a song about, I'm like, yeah, let me tell you the story. Let me tell you like about the worst day of my life and how it wrecked me. And like, you know, I'm not, I'm not very closed off about that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, I guess the only thing that concerns me is like, I, I work as a music teacher. Okay. I teach singing and piano. Um, and it's not like I'm concerned about my students hearing that. I'm confident with the work that I put out or anything like that. But it's more just the fact that, like, I swear and I'm very, like, personal and exposed mm-hmm. on this record. Um, 
but like even even my colleagues and like the people that I work with have been really supportive and like some of my students like the older ones the teenagers and adults I haven't shown it to any five-year-olds but I'm sure you know like they've all been really supportive of it as well like it's I'm not really concerned about it Mm. because it's just who I am yeah yeah well, that's that's good that you can be confident with. It. I mean, yeah. The only reason I even asked the question is because I think uh, solo music and stuff is something that I really don't have any experience with. It's and it's something that the music that I play and the music that I write and that I've always been into is I couldn't do it without the help of other people. I mean, I similarly to yourself, I do take a lot of pride in what I write and I do get kind of picky sometimes and people try and rip it apart (laughs) but um yeah i'm always interested in in uh people's opinion on performing by themselves because it's something totally foreign to me it's an experience that i've never had i mean maybe one day i will for those of you out there that want to hear my beautiful singing voice but um yeah no it's just it's that's that interests me and particularly the because creating solo music is often quite emotionally connected to you too mm. because you, it is just you representing you, you yeah know? um all right well i guess is there anything that you would i mean other than the festival which we can do a little promo for now if you've got any want to drop any names or anything oh, um so the melbourne festival is gonna be it's gonna be wild we have um headlining we have jala jess ribeiro with her band and Camp Cope Mm -hmm. and Simona Castricum and we announced Alex Lahey not long ago. So that's like five big names. Great. Um, But a lot of really, really, really awesome artists. Like everyone, I pick every single band that goes on this bill and I like, I would not put someone on this lineup if I didn't think that people will really enjoy it sure um it's i just take the philosophy of book shows that you want to see yeah um and this is a show that i would want to see if that counts for anything this is a show that i would go to so and you, i am going you've heard it here first <laughs> rachel seal approval <laughs> better be there what about the sydney show um the sydney show we've got Le Pie, who's just about to release is actually just about to release an EP called Sad Girl Theory. She's got this really, <laughs> she's got this really amazing like four piece or female band. They're so good. Uh, we've got Code of Conduct who are like this Canberra hip hop duo. Mm-hmm. There's got so much energy live and they're just hilarious. Great. Um, they released a music video that's like a like a gender flipped rap song. Like it's about. It's called Click Clack Front and Back, and it's like the hook line is boys get your booty low. Sure. I'm um, very, it's the film clip is excellent. Um, and then we've got Twin Caverns, who are like a, an electronic ambient soul sort of duo. Um, we've got Emma Dean coming down from Brisbane, who is one of those artists who kind of is a little bit different to some of the other bands on the lineup. But that was just me being really self-indulgent and me being like, I love Emma Dean. I don't care if anyone else doesn't. I want to have her play. You're booking the show. You can see who you this want. Is, <laughs> this is my right. Yep. Um, but yeah, we've got, we've got those bands. Um, we've got Missing Children who don't get to play very often but are absolutely amazing. They headlined last year. 
and I definitely wanted to have them back. Cool. And the other thing is we've got like market stalls at both festivals as well. Um, So market stall applications have just closed and we're about to like go through and process all of those. So we'll have like some some crafty stuff and some food. Great. Yeah, it should be be a really good day. Um, And you can get tickets from sadgirlsclub.com. There you go. The place to go. And what about your your music? Um, Promote yourself. Heck. (laughs) Um, So I just released an EP, which is what I'm in Melbourne to to play for. Uh, It's called I Just Have a Lot of Feelings. Mm -hmm. That is... It is what it says on the tin. It's lots of feelings. Yep. Um, There's a fantastic music video to go along with it. There's a, a music video in which I drink a lot of Coke Zero. Which made me unbelievably happy. Um, attempt to bake a cake and do a kind of... A not particularly aesthetically pleasing job of that. But tasty? It was... a. You can watch the reactions in the video. <laughs> what I did was I invited a bunch of friends over and baked a cake for them and got them to eat it on camera. And you can watch and make your own assessment on whether or not the cake was tasty. Okay. I thought it was fine. I, I really like a visual medium for assessing taste too. I think that's <laughs> impressive. It's a good music video. I'm really, really happy with how that one came out as yep. well. Um, and... You can buy it from rachelmariacox.bandcamp.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just sold out the first run of cassette tapes and ordered the second run. Cool. So there will be cassette tapes online in about a week's time for the second pressing. Um, and you can also like stream it on Spotify and what's it on? So what I did was there's this like website which will just put your music on all these streaming sites for, for a fee. Yep. And I use that. And so it's on like... Spotify, iTunes and Apple Music, Google Play, Tidal. Ooh, man, yeah, high def. Ah, <laughs> uh, because I am. Thank you, Jay Z. <laughs> I am sad and fancy. That is that is the theme for this this tour. Good. Um, and then also something called Deezer. I've never heard of Deezer before. Let's just assume it's also high def like and very if fancy. It, if anyone else is out there uh, who has Deezer, you can hear it on that. And it's also on Shazam. So if you hear okay. a... It'll tell you what it is. Yeah. You can That's Shazam right. it. Cool. I don't have Shazam either. Well, you know, someone's probably using it. Hopefully. It's for them. <laughs> um, well, is there anything else you would like to say before we... Mm close off our conversation in the beer garden of the workers club i don't know i don't particularly know that's um, all right oh just that if you i can't really promote myself very well but rest assured that my band are very very good so maybe listen <laughs> to it for them <laughs> well please check it out i'm sure it's great yeah. you gotta check out that band you just hyped them up they're so good <laughs> Like our lead guitarist, when I say he is a guitar wizard, I am not understating his ability. Got to do it. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for doing the podcast. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. And um, yes, I wish all the best of luck for the festival. Thank you. I think it's going to be awesome. Cheers.